Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Steve Asawa continues our series on Lessons from Life Stories, looking at the life of Esther. Now, here's Steve. Good morning. How many of you remember being asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? I think that question has been asked for many generations. And the answers are usually pretty cute, especially if you ask little children. I want to be a dog. Oh, okay. I want to be somebody who helps other people. I want to be a ninja warrior. I want to be just like my mommy or my daddy. I want to be six years old when I grow up. I want to be a princess. I want to be the ruler of the world. The range of answers starts to narrow when you ask teenagers the same question. I want to be a doctor, a teacher, an engineer, a nurse. And as you can expect over time, the answers change. Now they reflect the digital world we live in and the emergence of reality TV. I want to be a video game champion. I want to be a video game creator. I want to be a YouTuber. I just want to be famous. And then there's some who would say, I just want to be somebody who sits on the couch. Or if you were like me in those days, the answer is, I don't know. Sometimes that dream job materializes, and it's not all it's cracked up to be. Many years ago, I used to have a little sketch behind me on my wall, and it's a man buried beneath piles of paper. And somebody else asks, why did you choose forestry as a career? And the answer, to enjoy the challenge of working in the great outdoors. And it's not to say that forestry isn't challenging or interesting, but for me, the field component of my job has gone a long time ago. This morning we're going to look at the book, we're going to look at the book of Esther. She lived in a world where people, women in particular, did as they were told. And interestingly enough, one day, this ordinary woman becomes queen of a huge empire. How's that for a dream job? Yet, as we'll see, it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Some people would like us to avoid the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because it puts the emphasis on the job. It doesn't really identify or help bring out the character traits in the people. In people. people tend not to think, I want to be kind, or I want to help people when I grow up. And then there's a the problem that some of us just haven't grown up yet, and we're not sure what we really want to be. Perhaps we should be asking the question, how do you want to be remembered instead of what you want to be? Let's just commit this time to prayer. Heavenly Father, we just pause and marvel that the God who created the heavens and the universe created ones like us and sustains us. Thank you, Father, for your love for us, the love that sent Jesus to the cross for us. We thank you for your word and your spirit. And we pray that as we open your word this morning, you would just open our hearts and our minds to learn something new that we can apply to our lives. We just ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. The contents or the events in the book of Esther took place around 483 to 473 BC. The Persians are now in control and King Xerxes, or Asuerus in Hebrew, reigned over a huge area. We're told that he reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. 
In the third year of his reign, Ahasuerus holds a huge feast and shows off his wealth and the other trappings for a full 180 days. And as a side, I don't think it was just to have a party to make everybody happy. I think what he was doing was showing off his wealth so others would come on board with him because he was planning to invade Greece. Picking up from Esther chapter 1 verse 5. And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. And it was a pretty fancy feast. Drinking was according to his edict. There was no compulsion. For the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Asnerus. The custom in those days required that people drink whenever the king drank, and at times people were forced to drink large amounts. But this time, people had a choice. They could drink as much or as little as they wanted. We do see, however, that the king himself was kind of under the influence. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded his eunuchs, I won't try to name them, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused. At this the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. Now tradition has it that Queen Vashti was commanded to appear naked before the people. It could very well appear, it could very well be, however, that she was just commanded to appear clothed, and she refused. It's likely that she thought this was beneath her dignity as a queen. That was the kind of thing for the concubines. And King Asuerus was known for his ego and his temper. He didn't seek the best advisors, and consequently, he didn't always make the best decisions. The king asked the seven princes of Persia and Media what to do about Queen Vashti. They advised him to make an example of her and prohibit her from seeing him again, because they didn't want her to set a dangerous precedent so that others would see what she did and therefore to follow suit and disrespect their husbands. I don't know what wedding vows might have been like in those days. Certainly Vashti was expected to honor and obey, but it doesn't appear as if this marriage was a reciprocal, loving type of relationship that we value in marriage today. The king's advisors emphasize, if it pleases the king, in other words, it was all about him. When the king calmed down, I think it's when the king sobered up, he remembered what happened with Vashti. Then his advisors suggest that beautiful young virgins be brought into his harem, and the one who pleases him would become the new queen. Reading from chapter 2, verse 5. Now there was a Jew in Susa the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at, and when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. King Nebuchadnezzar took the Israelites into exile into Babylon in about 586 BC. After that, there were three groups of people who returned to the land of Palestine. The first return is found in the book of Ezra, 
when God stirs up the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia, he built him a house in Jerusalem, and Cyrus provides the means for the people to go back and do that. This was around 538 BC. However, not everyone returned. Some remained, including the families of Mordecai and Esther. So Esther was an orphan in a minority group living in a foreign land. Hadassah, or Myrtle, was a Jewish name. Esther is from Ishtar, who was the pagan goddess of love. And Esther certainly experienced hardship and challenges in her life. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, many young virgins were gathered in Susa the citadel in custody of Haggai. Esther was also taken into the king's palace and put in the custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young woman pleased him and won his favor. And he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. So Esther is taken into the harem, and like others, given twelve months of preparation before her turn comes to spend the night with the king. She'll either become queen, or she'll be relegated to another harem. Now, all these other women would be considered the king's wives, although they would have had lower status. And I would note, Esther didn't really have much choice in this decision. What the king commanded, the king got. Esther would have been expected to eat whatever was put in front of her in the harem, as insisting on following Jewish dietary restrictions would have been problematic. We're told that she was physically attractive, and I would suggest that she also had an inner beauty and grace, and that's what got the attention of Haggai, and he was the one in charge of the women. So needless to say, she was in a pretty tough situation. And every day, Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. So Mordecai was likely an official in the king's office, which is why he was close enough to check in on Esther every day. It does not appear that Esther and Mordecai were seeking to follow all of God's commandments to the letter. Esther seems to be going about her life a day at a time in a pagan land. So Esther is taken to the king. In chapter 2, verse 17, we read, The king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she won grace and favor in his sights more than all the other virgins. So that he set the royal crown on her head, made her queen instead of Ashtar. Then along comes Haman, who King Asuerus promotes, and even commands people to bow down and pay homage to him. Mordecai, however, refuses to bow down to Haman, which infuriates him, and his response is not only to get rid of Mordecai, but all his people. And it's interesting to note that Haman was an Agagite. You may, you, may remember, you may remember King Saul was instructed to destroy the Amalekites, but didn't. And then the prophet Samuel was the one who ended up killing King Agag. You can read about this in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Some think Haman was the descendant of Agag. Others think he was called this because he lived there. Saul was a Benjaminite, as was Mordecai. Chapter 3, verse 7. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, he cast Pur, that is Lot's, before Haman day after day, and they cast it month after month until the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. This is the day Haman planned to wipe out the Jewish people. 
So Haman goes to the king and tells him that there's a certain people who just aren't worth keeping around. And he offers the king a huge sum of money, 10,000 talents of silver. It might have been about three quarters of what came in on an annual basis to destroy the people. And the king allows Haman to issue a decree to do this. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instructions to destroy and kill, to annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. And it was seen that Esther was kind of sheltered from the outside world. So Mordecai heard about this, and he's mourning, he's in sackcloth. But she doesn't realize why, so she sends one of her eunuchs to go out and find out what's going on. And Mordecai shares the reason and sends Esther a copy of the decree so she can approach the king and plead for her people. Esther notes, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, so he may live. But as for me, I have been not been called to come into the king these thirty days. So even the life of a queen was not Moses. Esther hasn't seen him for a month. And we're not sure if she was in his bad books, if somebody else had found favor with him, or he was just distracted and too busy to worry about seeing his wife. And we're not sure Esther may have also had to go through somebody else to get to the king. And that person could have been Haman, which would have been problematic. So even though she was queen, Esther could have been executed for walking in on her husband without being summoned. If he didn't hold out his golden scepter to her, it just meant death. So needless to say, she wasn't too keen on just showing up uninvited. Then Mordecai told him to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you do not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther was just hit a crossroad. She's come to a defining moment in her life. Mordecai has made it clear that she's not immune from the fate of the Jewish people and points out that she might be in this position just for this very reason and her response took courage. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also do as you do. Then I will go to the king Though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Esther seeks God's guidance and help through fasting. It's interesting that Esther wanted everyone to fast, but doesn't specifically ask for prayer. Fasting and prayer go together, and I think it's safe to say she wanted prayer as well. She was essentially calling for a three-day prayer vigil. We noted that Esther followed Mordecai's instructions to not reveal the fact she was Jewish. He checked up on her regularly. He was essentially parent, guide, mentor. Someone who wouldn't just say things to boost her ego like the king's advisors did, 
but someone who would let her know when she was going off course. So Esther goes to see the king, and he extends the golden scepter to her. She's safe for now. As tempting as it would have been, Esther doesn't jump in and give the king the whole story of breakneck speed. Instead, she asks for a small favor, namely that the king and Haman would come to the feast that she prepared for them. After they've eaten, the king asks what she wants, and she asks them to attend a second feast the next day. Some might think Esther was being sneaky and calculating in the way she went about doing this. But apparently, starting small and working up was the tradition in those days. So Haman goes home, and he brags to his wife and his friends about how great he is and all that he has. And yet, he's still not satisfied because there's this one guy, Mordecai, who won't bow down to him. So his wife and friends tell him, have a gallows built and hang, have Mordecai hanged on it. And so Haman goes out and they have this gallows built that's 50 cubits high or 75 feet. Interestingly, that night, the king can't sleep and he had the book of memorable deeds read to him and he found out that this man Mordecai had actually saved his life one time because people were planning to murder him but he had never been rewarded for it. So fast forward to the second feast. After they had eaten, the king asked Esther what she wanted. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be granted for my wish, and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we have been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he, and where is he, and who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. The king was furious. Haman is executed on the gallows that he had built for Mordecai and Esther is given what belonged to Haman. Then she tells the king who Mordecai is and he comes before the king and the king gives Mordecai the signet ring that Haman had. Esther then turns around and puts Mordecai in charge of the things that used to be Haman's. However, there's still the issue of this decree to eliminate the Jewish people. Esther falls at the king's feet and she weeps, and she pleads for him. But the edict cannot be revoked. The king does, however, tell Esther that she can write whatever she pleases regarding the Jewish people, and she can seal it with his signet ring. So Mordecai dictates an edict to the king's scribes, whereby the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods on one day throughout all the provinces of King Asuerus, on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. When the time came, the Jews struck down their enemies. They also killed the ten sons of Haman, but laid no hand on the plunder. The king shares news of what happened with Esther, and asks if she has a further request. Her response is a bit surprising in that she asks that the Jews in Susa be allowed to do this again the next day, 
and that the ten sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. And remember, they had already been killed, so this was just putting their bodies up on display. We really don't know why Esther asked for a second day. Some think she was being a bit vindictive. Others think she was making sure that the enemies were dealt with in Susa. The people celebrated these events, and Mordecai sent letters to everyone, obliging them to keep the 14th, 15th day of the month of Adar every year, as that's the month, as that's the month they got relief from their enemies. Sorrow turned to gladness. Mourning turned to a holiday. Haman had plotted against the Jews to destroy them, and had cast pur, that is, lots, to crush and to destroy them. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lot. Sorry, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The book of Esther is quite different from others in the Bible. There's no formal mention of God, or even of prayer. Kind of like the world around us in many ways. Yet, it's abundantly clear that God was involved throughout the story. For example, it wasn't just a coincidence that Esther became queen. It wasn't just a coincidence that the king couldn't sleep, or that he was read the book of memorable deeds, and that's the night he learned that Mordecai had not been rewarded for saving his life. Likewise, it's not just a coincidence that Haman provided a suggestion for honoring Mordecai, and the list goes on. So how does Esther's life have any relevance to us? Here are a few suggestions from my perspective. Esther had a tough life, living as, mi- as a minority in an exiled land. She had lost her parents, was put into the king's harem. I can't appreciate how difficult that must have been. Despite that, she kept going on a step at a time and waited to see how things would turn out. Again, I think she had a grace and inner beauty that made the difference, something that only comes from knowing God. Many, perhaps all of those listening to this, have or are going through some pretty challenging times. Times when it feels like God doesn't care. Times when we just wonder why he won't intervene in our lives and change the situation. Sometimes it's hard to see how anything good can come out of what we're going through. I suggest those are the times when we need to lean even closer to God and depend on him and to lean on each other. From what we've read, it's likely that Esther and Mordecai didn't follow all of God's commandments of the letter. Similarly, none of us are perfect. We've all fallen short in God's eyes. Despite this, God loves us so much that he sent his son to live as one of us, to die, to be buried, and to rise again so that we can have a relationship with him, so that we can have forgiveness of our sins. Jesus is willing to meet us where we are right now. He doesn't expect us to have everything figured out before he's willing to come walk alongside of us. The past is history. Jesus wants us to move forward with us to the finish line. Esther had to make a life and death choice. She had reached a crossroad and needed to decide whether or not to approach the king even though she had not been summoned. It may seem simple from our perspective, but that decision took a lot of courage. In essence, she was putting her life on the line to save her people. I trust we can all think of times in our lives when we hit a crossroad, when we can look back and see those defining moments 
that have brought us to the point where we are today. I firmly believe the most important decision a person can make is to accept Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, to have that relationship with Him. Making decisions that pull us toward God away from other things may or may not have some consequences for us. Sometimes they don't, but other times we know that those decisions mean that we're putting a target on ourselves. When we know what God wants of us, we need to be obedient and to follow through. Esther sought God's guidance and support. She called for a three-day fast, and she had a guide or mentor in Mordecai who cared enough to tell her when she was going off course. Who cared enough to tell her even when the message was tough. We too need to seek God's will for our lives, to seek his wisdom. It's hard to comprehend how such a huge God cares for ones like us, and yet he does. We can read, we can pray, we let his spirit talk to us, let his spirit guide us. And another way that God speaks to us is through others. It's good to have people that we can turn to for support, guidance, and words of wisdom. People who care to tell us when we're getting off track. As we've seen earlier, we do, however, need to seek godly counsel. People who can provide godly wisdom. We have the institution of the Feast of Purim in the book of Esther. A time to remember when Jews got relief from their enemies, which we see in hindsight is the time God saved his people. A time when sorrow was turned into gladness. And we have a similar situation with Jesus. He came to save the world from the penalty of sin. It was a time of sorrow for many when he was crucified on that cross. And yet, sorrow turned to gladness when he rose from the grave. Hallelujah. We have the opportunity to meet, although virtually through Zoom right now, every week to remember and celebrate what Jesus did for us on that cross. It's a time when we can focus specifically on what he did then and what he continues to do now. We share bread and juice, reminders of his body broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. Some refer to this as the Lord's Supper or the breaking of bread or communion. It's one way that we can worship him. In closing, we've seen again how God can use ordinary everyday people to do extraordinary things. Who could have imagined that Esther would be the one whom God used to save his people? Most of us lead what I would call ordinary lives, one day at a time. We may not all have the same impact as Esther did, but perhaps some will, and perhaps some will even have a bigger impact. Each of us has a part, though. Our lives, or our job, should be focused on knowing God, trusting Him, and seeking to honor Him. And I trust that's something each of us would like to be remembered for. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we just pause. We just thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your word. And Father, we do pray that everyone here would want to be remembered for people who know you, who love you, who want to serve you, and want to honor you. We just thank you for this word that we can open up. Thank you for your spirit. We just pray for your blessing as we part and go our ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. 
Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.